Hello and welcome to our special Year Ahead 2023 edition of Bondcast. I'm Imogen Bakra, UK rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale and Jan Navruzzi. Now, if you couldn't guess from that little intro, <laughs> we're using today's Bondcast to give you all um, a quick rundown of our kind of main themes and views um, in rates markets for 2023. We've just published our year ahead outlook, so subscribers of our content um, will have received that hopefully already. Um, and we're going to use the next half an hour to just kind of run through where we see, uh, I guess, the main themes, the main trades, the main risks um, for G3 rates next year. Uh, so without further ado, Jam, let's kick off with you. Um, given the format of today's episode we're going to be asking uh, the same questions to everyone so um hopefully listeners will be well versed on on the setup by the end but jan if you can start off by just giving me your kind of high level macro views and, and set the scene for us rates next year yeah so for the us next year from a economic side we see the economy sliding into a, a relatively mild recession in the first half uh, basically look for consumption to start falling down, uh, capital expenditures to keep falling down, less government spending. So like you see the fiscal drag there, but generally this uh, continued Fed tightness uh, will weigh itself on the economy. So we're looking for negative uh, 0.4 for 2023 overall like GDP growth. So not really too deep, but still tipping the economy into a recession. And we see the slowdown uh, mainly in the first half of the year. So Q1, Q2, and after that is more of a normalization. Uh, as far as inflation goes, yeah, we see uh, we expect inflation to continue moving towards the target. However, being uh, ending the year still above target, to put some numbers behind it. Uh, our core PC, the Fed's preferred uh, inflation measure, ends the year at 2.9%. So still not at the quite at the 2% level that the Fed wants to see it. Uh, but that being said, uh, you know, it's still, it is drifting to where it should. So to summarize, a mild recession and uh, decelerating inflation, but still above target. Okay, so how does that leave your Fed view then? Uh, where do you see fun, Fed funds getting to by end 2023, let's say? And, and I guess more importantly, how does that compare to what the market's currently pricing in? Yeah, so uh, even before 2023, for this December meeting, we are expecting the uh, a 50 basis point hike, which the Fed almost alluded to, uh, by now and uh following that into 2023 uh we'll see kind of a gradual decrease in the pace of hikes so even skipping the february meeting uh 25 base points in march skipping the may meeting 25 base points in june uh which brings them to 4.75 to 5 percent range uh which is currently more or less in line with what the market has it uh we were we were pricing significantly above that for a little bit about 20 base points above uh uh, above those levels, but now the market has retracted following their most recent rally, and our view seems to be uh, more in line with uh, where the market is. And so, and how that ties in kind of to our recession call, because usually under a recessionary scenario, you would see the Fed, uh, well, pulling back or even cutting rates. Uh, because of the persistence of inflation, we do not see that uh, materializing quite next year. We expect cuts to come in 2024, and once they come, to be rather sharp and deep, go back to 2%, so below the neutral rate target estimate. Uh, and finally, as you know, our sequence of hikes until June, pause, and then cuts in 2024, 
while we have QT in the middle. So we're looking for the balance sheet reduction to end by the end of next year, just to kind of keep it more consistent with the Fed's preferred method of sequencing. Uh, they wouldn't want to be reducing their balance sheet while also cutting interest rates as that sends a like a mixed monetary policy signal. So to summarize, 5% interest rates end of next year, cuts in 2024, and QT to finish uh, by the end of 2023. Thinking a little bit further up the curve then, what's going to matter most for duration in 2023 in the US and, and how do you expect that all to unfold and, and uh, conclude, I suppose, for yields? So one of our uh, core themes for next year is that while we will see a, a steepening rally, it won't be quite yet. And you might develop more so like uh, second quarter and on uh, after the first initial few months of the year where inflation remains still optically pretty high. So uh, as far as duration goes, we we think yields in the longer end will also keep falling. We see the 10-year finishing next year at 3.35%. Uh, similarly, we expect the two-year yields to finish significantly lower uh, from where they are now at 3.55%. And to give a context for the curve, uh, we are looking for uh, an expression like 530s in treasury space to steepen up to 30 basis points by the end of next year. So, you know, you see like this significant kind of reshifting, front end rates coming down, uh, longer rates also coming down, but staying more or less in the 3% range as, uh, like I said, the persistence of inflation and still relatively uh, the rates that are above the zero lower bound, keeping those uh, anchored at fairly uh, you know, moderate long-term rates so in the 3% range, while the front end that does the most of the rallying later on into the year. I guess you've kind of partly answered my final question then, but, but just to round off the discussion in the US, what are your other top trades heading into next year? Yeah, so uh, our top trades, like a, to start with one of our core views for next year, which uh, and to a little bit of a pretext before that, going to this year, we did anticipate a bear flattening rally as we saw inflation being sticky and the Fed uh, tightening policy. Granted, Fed tightened policy a lot more than what we expected at the last year ahead, uh, but still the dynamic was the same. It's just the magnitude was much larger. Uh, going to next year, we think that reverses as the feed, uh, Fed peaks, uh, right, or pivots, I guess, or it depends on your definition of pivot, but as the Fed peaks in rate hikes, uh, we expect the markets to get ahead of that and start pricing cuts for uh, for, for the following year, which should, uh, in our view, lead to steeper curves. We like to express it in uh, 530s steepeners in six-month forward space. Uh, additionally, we uh, we really like real yields too. This is something I've talked about this in the podcast too, but uh, now going to next year, that looks even more attractive to us. Express, express that in 10s, 30s steepeners and real yields as a like a lower beta version of, of getting that exposure. Uh, and finally, we see generally as the Fed uh, peaks, volatility levels coming down. Liquidity is slightly improving to next year. Uh, and, and also the market receiving more collateral through issuance. So what that means for spreads, uh, look for two-year spreads to go negative again and stay there more persistently, while on the longer end, uh, spreads to widen out as uh, they tend to be very closely linked to uh, elevated volatility. So as we kind of see a little bit more improvement in market functioning, the cash product should improve uh, on the longer end and uh, dealer balance sheets should clear up a little bit. 
Great, thank you, Jan. I'm certainly looking forward to that low volatility year next year. Okay, Giles, let's head over to Europe then. Um, same set of questions, let's start back from the top again. Can you kind of set the high level macro scene, if you like, that's going to matter for European rates in 2023? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty simple one, I would, I, I would say. For us, the scenario is, um, well, being Europe, we have to start with energy, of course. And you know, there, as we've been saying for months now, I think that the um, well, it, no, the idea that crisis has possibly been averted, almost definitely postponed, uh, that has been tracking pretty well. And so I think that that means that we are heading for a mild recession, uh, probably starting this quarter, possibly ending in Q2. So you know, I think that that's something to, uh, to, to bear in mind that next year actually might be more of a year where we're talking about a, a little bit of a recovery in the second half of the year. So what does all that imply for the ECB then? Where do you see um, the depot rate getting to? And I guess probably importantly for the ECB too, a major discussion, well, that's ongoing right now, but I'm sure will feature heavily in 2023 is around QT as well. Yeah, that's right. So, okay, um, I guess that we think the, um, the most likely case is that the ECB will go 50 in December, then 25 in March, and it'll then be allowed to pause uh, because you know, it's concerned about policy lags, it's concerned about um, financial conditions and so on. And I you know, just really want to see how things catch up at that stage. Then I think that the focus is going to be starting quantitative, quantitative tightening. Again, okay, I think that there's a, uh, a, a bit of a sort of trade-off between tightening at the front end, tightening at the, the long end that needs to be taken into account there. So I think that they will be focusing on getting that started. And then the question about whether 225 is going to be just a local or a global uh, high in the policy rate you know, will really be determined by how strong a recovery we are able to stage in the second half. So I actually think that the interesting risk at the moment is that um, we see the ECB raising rates a little bit uh, towards the end of next year. And so you know, while we are clearly positive on the rate path compared to what's priced in, in the market um, out to around the middle of next year. And so things like being long um, and junior eyeball, for example, and immediately sort of drops out of this, um, you know, this macro framework. I think that opposing the rate cuts that are priced into the curve from around the middle sort of you know, slash Q3 next year is also um, an, an attractive trade. And thinking further out the curve, then, what's your take on what's kind of going to matter most for duration next year? And, and how does that all come together for your duration call in Europe? So our duration call is not driven particularly by our front end uh, rates view. I, I think that you know, they, the rates view that we're not going to be talking about rate cuts is, is important, but uh, we're actually negative. Uh, for duration. We think that bond yields are going to rise further out the curve in spite of the fact that we're a little bit positive on uh, on, on the short-term path. Um, we still have this 2.75% uh, uh, yield target for 10-year for bonds. That's 
they've been in place for quite a while as um, regular listeners <laughs> will know. Um, and I still have that in mind as a sort of end you know, Q1 sort of uh, target in terms of time frame. Now, what matters here? Supply, clearly, um, you know, not being too wrong on the inflation or the growth uh, outlook, <laughs> that also matters. Um, our evaluation of the sort of sectoral scale of demand as well is, is important because you know, we're talking about there being a lot more bond supply between the supply and also the, the, changing, um, the, uh, the changing stance with regard to quantitative easing, quantitative tightening. And you know, we, we don't think that banks are going to be particularly keen on you know, stepping up and, uh, and absorbing a large chunk of that. We don't think that foreigners are necessarily either. That's partly a yield curve consideration because the, you know, the, uh, the, the steepness of the yield curve is, is an important incentive for them. But it's also because we think that region risk, um, you know, lingering concerns about geopolitics and, and, and energy security and so on, will be enough to keep foreigners uh, away from the market, or at least cautious about, uh, about European fixed income. And finally, I just think that there's an ongoing diversification element here where uh, that, you know, this is this idea that when rates and risk markets are positively correlated, the uh, incentive to have a large allocation to high quality fixed income is relatively low. And I think that that is going to be something which is still with us next year. So, over to you now, I think, Imogen, it's your turn. Um, why don't you just go through and paint us the picture for um, how you're thinking about the UK for next year? Yeah, I think we're a bit more negative on the UK economy, particularly than, than we've just heard from you, Giles. You know, we see quite a prolonged but mild recession, I would say. So we have growth in 2023 of minus 1.2%, uh, but see negative quarter-on-quarter -quarter growth from, from now and for the next seven quarters. So in terms of the average length of a recession, um, that's, that's longer than, than usual in the UK. Um, and I think the risks there are skewed to this being more prolonged rather than being a deeper and faster recession, just given that a lot of the weakness we think is going to be driven by the consumer and this kind of uh, lagging monetary policy transmission mechanism and how high um, you know, debt servicing costs are, are going to get to. But, but that lagged element of the monetary policy transmission mechanism lends itself to the risks being, I guess, more of a protracted slowdown rather than a, a deeper and shorter and sharper recession. Um, so just like you, know, you were talking about in Europe, this obviously more weak growth outlook does weigh on our inflation forecast as well. We think that the peak for both headline CPI and RPI comes in uh, January 2023. But probably more importantly for the Bank of England is that we see inflation generally, but particularly core inflation, core CPI being quite sticky. Um, so we still have core CPI close to 4% at the end of 2023 uh, and not falling back to 2% until the end of 2024, um, which probably creates a little bit of a problem for the Bank of England in a, a weak growth environment. Okay, and so for the Bank of England, uh, what is the conclusion? 
Well, regular listeners will know that our kind of uh, peak bank rate call is for four and a quarter by February. So we see them getting there by doing 75 in December and then 50 in February. Now, that 75 probably has downside risks attached to it. It's not our kind of uh, call that we're really kind of banging the drum on and and our strong base case. Um, But it just feels like if, you know, they think that bank rate needs to get somewhere in the region of, uh, between four and, and four and a half, let's say, um, delivering that policy tightening earlier rather than later probably makes sense. And, and given that they felt justified to step up the pace in November, I'm not sure that the data has really turned over quickly enough or, or has turned over at all, especially when you look at inflation, um, to suggest that they would be uh, particularly justified in stepping down the pace of purchases. Um, but just like we've heard from from both you and Jarl, um, sorry, sorry, you and Jan, on the US and European side, uh, we think that 2024 and 2023 for the Bank of England is going to be more about a plateau rather than a pivot. So expect rates to reach four and a quarter by February, but then remain on hold, um, given what I was saying about, you know, the the inflation outlook being quite sticky and and remaining pretty high. Um, I don't think that the Bank of England will really be considering hikes um, cuts. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we've moved so quickly from cuts to hikes, and now we're back the other way. <laughs> it's going to get very confusing. I don't think the Bank of England will be thinking about cuts until 2024. Um, and then I guess just quickly on the QT side, you know, I don't think um, they'll really deviate from the kind of planned uh, pace of active sales that they've already announced on QT. I would expect longs to be included um, in the new year. We'll find out about that mid mid-December we'll get the calendar for Q1 um, and obviously the the Bank of England seem um, in some sort of rush to start selling their long-dated purchases as well so there's a fair amount of kind of supply coming on board from from the Bank of England as well. Okay uh, all very clear so what does that mean for the rest of the guilt curve though? Well, I guess, again, similar to Europe, but unlike, you know, 2022, where it was really front ends that were driving the rest of the curve, I actually think that the duration view or gilts in 2023 can be a bit more about what they were kind of during September and October this year and, and being driven by um, the fiscal outlook and, and the UK funding its its fiscal deficit. You know, I think one of the lessons from the autumn statement or one of the key takeaways for markets from the autumn statement last week was that um, the issuance outlook is, is on a pretty one-way path for the next couple of years. And although it was tipped to be a kind of austerity budget with lots of fiscal tightening and, and a return to fiscal orthodoxy, actually most of that tightening is pretty backloaded. And the issuance outlook for 2020 um, is very heavy and I would go as far to say heavier than markets were expecting. So, um, you know, there's a huge amount of supply coming on board, not just from the DMO or from the Treasury, but also from the Bank of England. We've talked about those upside risks on this podcast before and, and the kind of costs of QT, if you like, those costs that also have to be covered by the Treasury and therefore add to supply risks um, have been pretty well telegraphed by now. So we don't need to go through all of those here. But, you know, I think it is going to be about the kind of supply and demand imbalances for gilts next year. And and just as as you talked about on the European side, you know, doing a kind of sectoral look at at who's going to take down these additional gilts, it's hard to see where that natural buyer at these yield levels is going to come from. You know, once you take away the Bank of England as, as the 
the major buyer of gilts, you're really only left with foreigners and, and LDI who, who kind of take down a significant proportion of that supply. And, and both of those sectors have bought significantly less this year than they normally would. Um, and foreigners, you know, gilts aren't an, an attractive kind of cross-market proposition right now, so wouldn't expect their demand to pick up significantly. Uh, and same for LDI. I think we can think of that as just a kind of steady stream of buying of, of the gilts that are coming to the market rather than a significant downward pressure at, at the longer end of the curve. Although if there is going to be demand, I think it's probably more likely to come from LDI and therefore at the long end than, than anywhere else. Anyway, I will stop there. That's just a really quick whistle-stop tour of, of our kind of key themes and views for 2023. But um, for all of our listeners who will have received the written outlook, then please do take a look at that. Uh, and if there's any questions or anything you would like to discuss further, then we are obviously always available. Uh, thank you both for joining me. And just a reminder to our listeners, if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.